Today, I'm thrilled to introduce Anne Naylor, an inspiring author, educator, and facilitator. With her wisdom and warmth, Anne guides us on a journey of joy and fulfillment. From crafting meaningful wedding ceremonies to empowering global audiences through her writings and teachings, Anne's insights inspire us to unlock our potential and embrace life's abundance. Get ready to be uplifted and empowered as we delve into Anne's remarkable journey on the path to wellness and inspiration. Welcome, Anne. It's truly a pleasure to have you here at Wellness Spring. Well, thank you, Beverly. Thank you for inviting me. It's just a joy to, to be with you. And we're on other sides of the world. You know, this is, this is I think it's so fun. <laughs> and it's, it's really sunny here today. It's December and it should be cold. But in fact, we're having a very warm and sunny December. It's amazing. Oh, you're very lucky. I'm currently in Melbourne and oh. we're in the second week of summer and we have one day where it's freezing cold and the next day it's sunny. Melbourne's always like you can't predict the weather. So hence mm -hmm. I've got a warm, warm dress on because um, it's been freezing here all day. And funnily enough, it's just started to the sun to shine through. But this is the joys, five seasons in one day. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and for the listeners, I was blessed to meet Anne many moons ago, and she's sitting in a lovely apartment in Cannes overlooking the water, which is stunning. And um, we've been on many adventures in Nice and France, and we've shared stages for my Holistic Professionals Network event and also my Be, Be Here Now Ladies events in Monaco. And I've also delved into Anne's weekly world of chanting and healing groups and, um, and also immersed ourselves with other friends along the beautiful Côte d'Azur for various shamanic groups and more. And not to forget that we also spend eight weeks with um, the power of eight, where we were part of an experiment with the amazing scientist Lynn McTaggart, sending healing to one person, the same person each week, once a, once a week. And um, it was just transformational. Um, the group didn't need to be healers, but most of us were. And it was just the power of intention to send healing thoughts to someone. However, today we're going to delve into the incredible journey of our ordained minister, celebrant, educator, author, and extraordinary author, da da da, da and Naila. <laughs> so, thank you for that introduction. <laughs> I, I always think it's nice for the listeners to have a feel for the people. So we've obviously shared a lot of history together. And um, maybe you could now start by sharing your upbringing, where you were born, your parents' education, so the audience can get an understanding of your background and you know, delve into your life. Okay, well, my lovely parents now passed. Um, <clears throat> my mother uh, was born in Newcastle upon Tyne and my father came from the Southwest, Cornwall. And um, I was born in Newcastle on Tyne, so I'm a Geordie, technically. And in fact, I was oh. there recently. I, it, it's a place that touches my heart. Mind you, a lot of places in the world touch my heart. So that's where I was born in 1948, so I'm 75. But I don't feel 75. I feel, do feel a lot younger. And my dad was in the Royal Navy, so he traveled every two years. I mean, he, we, we were moving every two years as a family. And this is a, a major turning point in my life. I have a younger brother and sister. Uh, was when I was about 12, my dad was posted to the Caribbean. And the education there was considered not as good as in England. So I was left behind in England when my family, my mother, um, father, and younger brother and sister went to the Caribbean. And, and I was, you know, that was okay with me because it was better education in England and I was keen to have a good education. But what you don't know as a 12 year old is the emotional uh, stress 
that can come mm. when you're separated from your family. And I had a guardian in uh, in London who was quite strict in her way. She was quite authoritarian. And I was at boarding school uh, in the southwest, southeast of England, rather. And I was so homesick. I missed them so much. And I resolved at that time I'd never get close to anyone in case they left me. And that's quite a powerful thing for a 12-year-old to commit to. And that's kind of fashioned my, my future in a way because uh, I was unsettled, emotionally unsettled. I went to university to study, study architecture for two years. I dropped out. I hadn't got the stability to go forward um, with, a, with an important study like that. And um, so I dropped out. I decided to do a, a, a secretarial course because, you know, that's some way to survive. I hated secretary work. <laughs> and I thought, well, mm. if I could sell, there's already, already always someone with money to spend on something. I thought I'd sell. And I started selling encyclopedias. But I wasn't very good at that either. And I reached a point where it's like, how am I going to survive? And that was one of the stuck times that I met. Uh, and as chance would happen, and I think I've been very taken care of with all my adventures, I was introduced to... Spaniard who was going to India and he said not very perceptibly but obviously uh, you're not doing very much good in in London come to India and I think it'll be good for you and he I was given a return ticket to Bombay and $700 in travelers checks and I went to India no idea what I was going to meet there but that was the beginning of my spiritual journey although I didn't know it when I went I just knew I was going to India didn't know anything about it but it was a profound uh, wake-up call, and I experienced it with the Indian people, um, the quality of acceptance. And in England, there seemed to be so much, you should do this, you should you know, and get a degree and, and get a good job and all that kind of thing. And I wasn't lining up to any of that. But in India, I could just be myself and relax and observe people. I wasn't searching for gurus or ashrams or anything like that. I wrote a lot. I was a great writer. Um, not for anything. I was just writing journals or writing my observations, and um, and it was profound. I came back feeling peaceful, not very comfortable in England, but I knew I needed to come back to re. I was raised in England, therefore that's where my that was where I was to be. I could have gone on being in in India, but it's like no, life needs me to go back to England and accommodate myself to the English culture. Um, I'm keeping the story a little bit short because there's a lot to it. So um, it went. I went from there as nine years in London, and that's where I uh, found out about. I was introduced to Insight seminars. A number of people in Australia. Actually, one of the main people that I met in this in, first Insight seminar in London was from Australia. John Dean, wow. I think was. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of Australian friends who are also studying. Uh, the same teachings as I study. In fact, one of my dear friends is in Melbourne, as you mentioned that before. Um, anyway, so, and that was really the, the start of me coming to ground and experiencing the kind of peace that I'd had in India, but I could have it in the West and I didn't have to be a hippie. I didn't have to drop out. I could live an ordinary life in England. Um, and And so I went from doing lots of different jobs for a while. Very good experience, I had lots of different um, jobs. And gradually after doing this insight training, I started doing my own consultations. I then started doing um, uh, seminars, mainly for the early retired, because I felt it's very sad when people retire in their 60s or so, expectations often at that time, this is in the 80s, a bit of gardening golf and around the world cruise, something like that. Mm -hmm. And when I researched, people were doing so many interesting things after so-called retirement. And and I felt it's a great waste. If people don't have something to live for, they often don't. And I think that's very sad. So that's why I, I was moved to do early retirement seminars. Early retirement uh, took me to inner motivation and training I did with uh, Candle Life Assurance in London. And that went into professional and personal development. Uh, with Marks and Spencers, which, as you know, is a big store in England. Um, and so I was doing the seminars. And then from that, 
uh, I'd introduced an American author to uh, Thorson's HarperCollins. And she asked me what I was doing. And I told her, and she said, would you like to write a book about it? Now, what I didn't say a little bit earlier on was it was my dream to write about what I saw in India. That was 20 years earlier. And a lot of people have to struggle to find a, an author, I mean, a, a publisher. And I was being asked to write about my experience. So, oh, my goodness. It took 20 years before I was asked, but I didn't have to search for a, a publisher. And so one book turned into three, and those three came out in the early 90s. There's good, still good stuff in them, and I think one day they might be reproduced, but they're not, not yet, which takes me to my current book, which um, is in the process of being published. I'm going to be the publisher for it. I'm not going to a, a publishing house. And that is Dancing with Hope, Awakening the Spirit Within You, 52 Passages for Finding Fulfillment in the 21st Century, because I realize it's, I've gone through a lot of changes. I found some wonderful ways of dealing with difficulties. Uh, that invited by change. <clears throat> so there's a lot of change going on in the world. So the book is really about helping people to adjust to the <clears throat> wonderful changes that are happening in the world, to feel good about them and to feel capable and confident. And hope is a bit of a heavy word, but I like dancing with hope. It's like, <clears throat> you know, uplifted. It's not sad. And I think one of the main things that have helped me through all these different changes I went through is I didn't blame anyone. I didn't blame my parents for leaving me behind. That was what happened. So my whole outlook is everything that comes to me is for me. And I had a contract with spirit right at the beginning of this life. There'll be certain things I get to experience. So I believe in the idea that we create, promote, and allow everything that happens in our lives. And it's quite a big statement to, to take on. But that's my truth. So I, I don't have any blame or resentment or regrets. No, because everything that's happened to me that's been difficult has turned into a blessing. I've been so blessed. So that's part of the message that I'm keen to put across, that when, however difficult your life is, there's a way forward. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of reframing or looking at it differently or whatever. And, and life is a blessing and a gift. So that's just that's a shortened version. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think you've come up for air and that was, you've unpacked a lot there and I know it was very um, short version. And what I loved about your book was, um, because I was blessed to have a look at your introduction, um, was the fact that you said you were a rebel. And I was thinking, I could never imagine you as a rebel, rebel because, you know, as an ordained minister and a celebrant and all the stuff I've done with you, you know, you always come across as, you know, very conservative, prim, proper. Yes, you've got a very great sense of humour, but I just couldn't imagine you being a rebel. Well, it was, yeah, I I was, I think in some ways I'm, I could say I'm a misfit or I'm, an, I'm out of the box. I live out of the box because having left my family emotionally when I was 12, and they came back to England and I joined up with everything. But I've learned to be to think for myself. So mm. I can put on the very conservative outlook. Oh, <laughs> doctorate I'm doing, I think the crazy side of myself could well come out because I think it was hidden. I feel well, I should, essentially the, um, uh, the human cocoon. I felt that when I started doing the um, transcendent leadership work class, I felt I've been in the cocoon for 60 years and now I'm coming out. So it's taken 60 years for me to perhaps accommodate some of the things that I've been through into, hey, what's life got up for me now? <laughs> it's like <laughs> really exciting. So I have a sense of excitement. I have it for myself, but I would have it with anyone I'm sitting in front of who may be feeling mm. and sorrow and so forth. It's like, because one of the first things with the consultation service that I started doing back in 1981, I guess, um, from the first insight training, there was an exercise we did where we had to look at the inner, look for the inner beauty in other people. And when you look for the inner beauty in people, which is what I do with a consultation, you have to hear about the difficulties they're experiencing, the stuckness, whatever that is. It's important that comes out. But behind that, is the amazing human being that they are that maybe has been hidden like mine was 
I think my amazingness has yet to show up. I'm still, <laughs> so I, don't, I was the fighting rebel, but I didn't really conform. And that's one of the things I put in the introduction. And I wanted to conform because my mother said, you know, Anne, you must conform. And it's like, well, I tried, but I just, I'm not very conforming, which is brilliant because at this time, when there's so much change going on in the world, it's wonderful to be with people who are feeling that they're not, or they're not fitting in the world. Or I, I have, don't, sort of fit in the world mm -hmm. I can look as though I do I can speak as though I do but the truth is I don't really so <laughs> I'm comfortable with people who are um well out of the boxes who who are not conforming and it's one of the reasons I like being in the south of France because as you probably you know, probably found for yourself a lot of people are thinking differently down here it's an interesting community of people who are thinking in new ways and I'm very comfortable around that. People who are not looking at, you know, nine to five, um, working from whatever age to whatever age and retiring with a clock, with a, I say a clock or a watch, you know, it's like, uh, I don't see myself retiring. Why would I retire? I love what I do. I love people. I love seeing the beauty in people and in the world around me. And yeah, I... when, when it's time for me to go, I, I say, okay, I'll go. I mean, I'm not, but... <laughs> I'm here as long as I'm here and as long as I see anyone else who's here I want to just help people awaken to the spirit of who we are which is sustaining we all have it I mean if you're breathing uh, and your heart's beating you have a human spirit <laughs> so it's like <laughs> that we all have in common <laughs> which is nice you know we are one world we all have that spirit and we can communicate yeah. from it <clears throat> I totally agree with you and I've I'm always the misfit in the family I've always been the one who didn't feel that I I fitted in and felt that I was born into the wrong life the wrong family and always wanted to travel and everybody else was very much home birds and my parents couldn't understand why I had this urge I wanted to travel wanted to go and you know, this desire and um, doing things out of the box. You know, I've always been impulsive and listened to my intuition. And, you know, this is how I've managed to travel around the world. But it was interesting when you said at 12, you know, emotionally, you felt that separation and the loss. Because when my mother died when I was 23, I felt a huge loss. And I think emotionally, I wasn't mature enough. And um, I had an argument with who or what I thought God was at the time. And I became very angry. And why did you take my mother? She's so good. Why didn't you take me? And, you know, so it was like um, a really difficult phase that I went through. But through my travelings, like you said, you always end up where you're meant to be and get the lessons, um, you know, Eventually, I went to Bermuda for three and a half years and then went to Australia. And in Australia, my just en route there, my grandmother had died and went back to, you know, to see her just a mister because she'd been knocked over by a neighbor. And the list went on, but I had five deaths in a row. When I finally made it to Australia, I met the a Catholic priest because I was staying with a Catholic family, and which I'm not Catholic. And, um, you know, I poured my heart out to him. And then from there, I got onto Buddhism. And you just meet, you know, different people who are willing to hear. And it opens up your mind and, you know, I I started opening up my heart and then you move on to a different level. So you never know where the universe is going to take you and what part you're going to lead, you know, and I completely then changed my career from nursing to catering and then into spirituality. But, um, yeah, I think, as you said, people come to the south of France for different reasons and there's a huge expat community. And I think people are like trying to reinvent themselves, rediscover themselves. And now we've gone through two years of rediscovery for the whole world with um, the COVID locks, lockdown and people losing their jobs and the way of life as they knew it. And change is the only constant. 
Yeah. Just thinking about mystic, my former mother-in-law was quite an eminent uh, astrologer. And I was actually living with her son, although she didn't know it, but I got to meet her as a way of being introduced to her. And so she did my chart and she said, it's an interesting chart. She said, uh, it's uh, a combination of a hard-headed competent and the mystic trying to get out. And I would say the mystic is getting, is getting out. <laughs> and you never know where the information is going. I mean, I'm a great one for astrology, but you never know where the information comes from. And if it resonates with you, it's like, doesn't matter who says, who says it. If it says, hmm, that sounds right to me. Uh, and it, it stayed with me. Um, yeah. And it was when I was experiencing that I had energy and I wasn't quite sure uh, what to do. Um, what was this energy about? And I went to the College of Psychic Studies in London to get a reading because I thought they might know what this energy is about that I'm dealing with. And I saw a reader and she got very excited and she said, um, well, you've got gifts of healing and teaching and I'd really like you to join a group where we're developing our uh, abilities and our talents, whatever. And I thought about that. And then before I actually got to join her group, I did the insight training and started studying with the movement of spiritual inner awareness. And the quality of the energy I experienced was so pure and loving. I didn't want to go the psychic route. I wanted to go to the purest level I could, and that was it. So I never, I never went and did that uh, class with her. But what I took from it was healing and teaching. That's something, mm -hmm. that's what I'm about. And it isn't necessarily about laying on hands. Uh, it's not necessarily about leading a classroom. Uh, but I see it as uh, education in the sense of drawing people out of who they truly are. That's the education. That's the teaching, as it were. And the healing, uh, I would never call myself a healer because I'm not trained as a healer. And that would be mis uh, misleading people. But I think it's healing of consciousness, healing with the loving, healing of peace. And in my experiences um, that I had recently in the last couple of years, in um in hospital i i didn't have a i wasn't in a lot of pain it wasn't a i didn't have a chronic situation with the cancer and i planted light columns in the in the hospital for patients for doctors for everyone and so the light is a healer so in that sense being available uh for the light to come through me in that sense i'm a healer yeah. So Do you want to tell everybody about your cancer journey? Because it's very profound. Yes. <clears throat> well, but just over two years ago, I had a lump in my abdomen and I actually thought it was constipation. So I went to a doctor and she said, I, I, you need to have um, some scans and, and see you know, uh, the thing. I forget the, how you call it now, but anyway, scans. So I went and had scans and this rather large cyst was discovered. And it needed to come out. So I was introduced to a surgeon and a rather large cyst came out. Um, it weighed one kilo, 300 grams. It was rather large. And mm. when it was at the, it was taken for analysis locally in uh, the south of France, they didn't have sufficient skills to analyze what this was. So the cyst was sent up to Lyon for specialist analysis. And it actually was, it was a, ovarian cyst inside was a malignant cancer and it so they they said this is very rare we've never seen anything quite like this and the, the cancer was so huge it protected me the cyst protected me from the cancer so I called the cyst Cynthia the wonder cyst because she protected my body from the malignant cancer I had subsequent surgery had 16 biopsies in the inside of my body in the in, in a cavity all negative to cancer the cancer had gone and what I understood from that for myself and I want to say here that um, cancer is different for everyone I used to do um, meditations for a cancer support charity down here for about three years and I got to respect how everyone has their own route well the route for me that I recognized was I'd heard years ago that cancer is sometimes the result of a death wish I hadn't had a death wish in this lifetime, but possibly in a former lifetime. And um, uh, so the mind was going, <laughs> taking a little journey around that. Um, but I had had times when I felt very struck, stuck and struggling. 
and feeling hopeless and that what can I do with my life, etc. I never wanted to take my life in this lifetime, but there were times when I felt absolutely at a loss. So that was that. And then so that was one cancer. And then I had a skin cancer, which was quite deep in my forehead and that got removed. Um, so in total, in two years, I had four surgeries and three cancers. The, the final cancer was a blood cancer, a very low key form of leukemia. So that was that one. Right. So this is two years, I've had three cancers and four surgeries. And I just, in about a month ago, I draw the line under the cancers. I still have checkups to be done in March and May of next year. Uh, the hematologist who was looking at the blood cancer for me, uh, I had a three month checkup back in, I forget when it was now, I lose track of the time. Maybe it was it was beginning of November. And he said, do you have any pain? No, do you feel tired? No, I have more energy than I've ever had. Um, so he said, I'd like to see you in six months. If all's the same, uh, we'll do another scan and a blood test. And um, then it'll be a year. So I consider that's the conclusion of the physical, the medical side. But I've been going through quite an, uh, an emotional transition. So sometimes not losing words, feeling disoriented. And one of the things that I hid when I was, uh, when I separated myself from my family was fear. And so one of the exercises I've been doing is clearing fear because it was associated with the cutoff that I did from my family and a number of other things. So physically I'm well, but I'm also taking time for the completion of the healing to take place. So I'm mm -hmm. taking long sleep, I'm uh, up, upping my sleeping patterns. So eight hours sleeping I'm aiming for, don't always do it, but I'm aiming for that. Exercise and just the comments that having a good diet. I did drop weight, but I was quite happy about that. So um, I'm treating myself consciously uh, in common sense health and then nothing that's over. I don't do supplements, I do vitamin C, but I don't do supplements or anything. I, I'm fortunate I have a strong constitution. And as the book that I'm currently working on gets completed, I'm probably going to be reaching out to more people. And I'll have the strength to do that. I don't know I'm weak to do that now, but I, I'm still being prepared. It's as though in the surgeries I had, it's as though I received gifts from spirit. And those are still being integrated and coming and coming into alignment with those. And my my ministry is really clearing the negativity from me. We all have it, and it's that we're down in this world. Um, mm. clearing that. So I am a, a clear as it were, a vessel for a spirit to come through me. I don't need to know that I'm being used. I don't need to have the ego say, oh, well, I did this. And, and that's not a bad thing, but that's not mm. the time I'm going on. I just say, okay, God, just let that come through me to help however it needs to help. I don't need to know that that's being done. I sometimes know that I'm being used because I feel a bit tired. <laughs> so, oh, I think I was used. Mm. And that's fine. <laughs> I just know, okay, I'm tired. I need to sleep. No, that's fine. In the first two years, and I don't think I mentioned this, anyway, um, I started, I did uh, three, years, three years ago, uh, a two-year class in, um, it was a master's in uh, spiritual science in transcendent leadership. And for those two years, which included one year of the beginning of the cancer journey, I wrote to God every day. And it was just like, um, I, just, I just write whatever came to mind. Obviously, when I was in hospital, I wasn't writing to God, but... I kept writing. And then at the end of that class, uh, I was a year ago or so, I was rushing because a part of my inclination is to get on with things. And and that wasn't the right thing to do. I fell on my right hand and crushed a bone in my, my joint there. I could not write. I could not write to God anymore because I couldn't write. I couldn't even use a wow. computer. Okay, I can't write to God. Then I'll talk to God. <laughs> was <laughs> <laughs> all the way you know whatever happens it's the way and um uh, and so i talk to god a lot and i feel the presence of god is with me so it's a, usually a morning and an evening i have a little session during the day and if i'm feeling really out of balance or out of sorts 
then I ask God to help me. And I have these cards all over the place. Ask God for help. Oh, how sweet. <laughs> I have them in colors. They're big bookmarks. <clears throat> and the interesting thing is if I've woken up having feeling a bit rough, you know, sometimes you wake up feeling a bit out of sorts. <clears throat> and I say, to God, I need your help, please. And just to make sure he's heard, God, I need your help. And then it's amazing how this peace just comes over me. And it's like, oh, my God, this is great. And the days that I do that, I often accomplish so much because I've invited God into me and good things happen. So. Mm. Beautiful. And who or what do you perceive God to be? Because everybody sees God something different. Yeah. And it's a very difficult word. <clears throat> I'm comfortable with it. Obviously, I've been writing to God, so I have an idea for myself. But I would say it's um, an infinite consciousness of unconditional loving. That is my definition, which is a bit long. God is a bit short already. So yeah. inf infinite consciousness of unconditional loving loves everything. That's who I aim to be. And one of the things I did to protect myself uh, in terms of being in a cocoon, was to be quite judgmental. If you're judgmental, you push people away and you cut mm. yourself off. So one of the things that I'm working with is stop judging. Just stop judging. Now, that's easier said than done because it can be unconscious. Judgments can be unconscious. Mm. And being aware of them, my body actually, if I'm being judgmental, my body kind of contracts. Like, Uh-oh. And then I become aware and then I can stop. So I, that's, that's something. <clears throat> that's a great way you know tip for the listeners as well to tune in and uh, because it is our inherent nature to judge people people are walking towards you and you go he's tall she's tall she's fat she's small she's this she's that don't like what she's wearing we've already decided in our minds whether we like him or don't like them and so forth yeah and <clears throat> it's true we are raised to be judgmental because our parents in their wisdom <clears throat> and meaning well I mean it's not they're not trying to damage us or anything I don't that's my approach um but they tell us right from wrong in the way that they understand it well right from wrong means we're judgmental I'm right yeah. they're wrong there's a judgment in there and that's very debilitating in the consciousness mm. and um so it's something I'm keen to do because if I'm being judgmental how can spirit come through me if I'm judgmental. Mm. And so I do have difficulty with things like politicians, which seem to me toxic because it's what I'm right and you're wrong. It's like the right wrong mm. thing is wrong or good, bad. And um, and that's quite a, I would say that I'm, that's a learn, part one of my learning curves. Now, I'm not going to stop learning until I leave the planet in this body. In fact, my mother in law, the one who was the astrologer, <clears throat> I visited her one, two, three years before she died. And she's a very wise lady. And she looked at me through her glasses and she said, you know, Anne, you never stop learning. And I thought, okay. And that was one of those things that stayed with me. But I'm, I'm glad for that because <clears throat> how dull life is if we're not learning anything. I, mean, I totally always, agree. Yeah. And it can be fun. I mean, but if you want it to be fun, it can be fun. Yeah, exactly. And I know you are a student of life. Every time I speak with you, you're doing something. Um, <laughs> firstly, can you tell us when you arrived in um, France and what was the catalyst for you coming over to France? Because you've been there quite some time now. <laughs> well, I was I was married um, in 1987. And yeah. I had been with my former husband, I think, something like 13 years. So... And he ran a fantastic business called Job Creation, and he did that through England, but many other um, countries as well. And very inspiring. And what he was doing mirrored what I was doing on a smaller scale. And we combined, uh, we, we were very much linked in that way, and we called what we did human energy and resource technology, which if you get the headings of, of the letters, it's heart, human energy, resource technology, technology or Q-Tech for short, and then he retired uh, around about 1990. He sold the business. I retired. He sold the business. And I thought, oh, great. You know, we'll have a great life together. But 
my demon of never get close to anyone, that didn't work so well when he retired because when he was working a lot of hours, I was able to organize my life around his life. But when we were together, that became a lot more difficult. Anyway, he decided that um, we needed, for various reasons, not to be living in England. Um, he sold a big business in, in Germany. So we moved to France. So that was how I came to be in France. We divorced uh, in 1997. He went back to England and I stayed on. So, so my life kind of took a, and, and actually those, those early years when I was first here, um, I got my first contract to write the first book at the end of the 1980s. And I wrote the three books um, during that time, I was first time in the uh, first part of the time I was in France. Wow! And here I stand. And there you are, and you're in a fabulous part of the world. And um, yeah, it's funny because when my mother died, I also because I could hear my father coming home and crying every night. I made a pact that I was never going to get married and have babies because I didn't want that yeah. to um, happen. But yeah. I have been, fortunately, um, I was meeting and attracting Mr. Wrong for many years until I met Brian. And uh -huh. even though we're not married, we're still together nearly 20 years later. So it is a big record. Um, but can you tell us about your book that you're currently writing? Because um, I'm sure just listening about it, people are going to benefit Yes. Well, first of all, I love it. I just love my little book. It's so sweet. <clears throat> so it gives me a lot of joy to write it. <clears throat> so the title is um, Dancing with Hope, Awakening the Spirit Within You, 52 Passages for Finding Fulfillment in the 21st Century. I'm going to. And um, so there are 52 passages and they, they came to me very spontaneously. I just started writing them. So they were like blog posts almost. And that was I, I just was writing them. <clears throat> and a friend in Canada said, uh, might be a good idea to set a number for this because I was carrying on writing. I always find something else to write about. And so I was probably at number 48 at this point. I thought, well, 52 is good, 52 weeks in a year. So people can pick up one passage. We call them passages rather than chapters. One passage uh, a month for a, for a year. That one, one way it could work. So basically, I was just intuitively led to the different topics of the of the book. Um, and it is about what well, I'm, I'm talking a lot about my own journey and how I dealt with things that came up that were difficult. And I found myself this amazing uh, editor um, in Canada, in Calgary. Um, I was introduced to him. Another one of these amazing introductions. You know, you talk about, you never know who you're going to meet. Yeah. He is so perfect. He's amazing because I can be off from the fairies and up in the clouds. And for this book to be helpful for people, I've got to have my feet on the ground. And his background is as an electro electrical engineer, highly, highly qualified from Cambridge University. That was his initial background. But he's work been working with authors like myself um, for some years. So he has that experience. And he's so... I just have to give him a, a, um, a mention because he never criticizes. He looks at something which he doesn't understand. He says, can you explain this a bit more clearly? And of course I can. And so he's helping to bring out the things that might not be clear. So quite a lot of anecdotes um, are my, based on my experiences. So it's, it's real. It's not, it's not stories. It's not, and it's also not instructional in the sense of do this and you will gain whatever uh, it's not a personal development it's more spiritual awakening awakening the spirit within you because if you can awaken the spirit within you you can accomplish anything you can get through anything whether it's covid whether it's climate change whether it's dealing with a difficulty with your work or relationship if you're in touch with and awaken to the spirit of who you are that's where your answers are so the book is about helping people to awaken to their own solutions. And I give mm -hmm. examples of how that goes. At the end of every passage, there is what we call a key. So these are exercises or activities that a person can do 
um, like it could be meditation or doing some journaling or whatever. But so there are 52 keys, we call them keys. And also through the passages, there are what we call seeds. So these are just notes for reflection. So a short paragraph or a couple of sentences to reflect on the, something of the content in the, um, in the text. And at the end, we're including, uh, and this is a sort of an afterthought, um, but actually it was a pre-thought because I had the thought and then the editor said, what about that, the spiritual laws you talked about? Um, and so the idea was to divide, divide the 52 passages into the five spiritual laws. So I'm not going to try and explain the five spiritual laws. But basically, the five spiritual laws start with acceptance, cooperation, understanding, enthusiasm, and empathy. And these can be applied in any tricky situation in your life. So, for example, a difficult relationship that I had with a family member. I was feeling rejected. He didn't want to talk to me, and I felt really, and I felt someone I had a good connection with, but he just didn't want to know. And I was very hurt by this and upset and didn't know how to respond. Well, first step is just accept this is the situation and this is what he is doing at the moment and that's fine. And I have a different point of view, but just accept it. So that was a, an opening because sometimes we try and fight things off and we're more powerful if we accept because when we accept, we've got the spirit with us and the spirit will guide us. Mm. So just to accept the difficulty, whatever it is, health, um, job, money, you know, name it. The next thing is to cooperate, which is to get active in bringing forward a solution. And a lot of that can be intuitive. Now, what is it I need to do to come into peace in terms of the relationship I was having difficulty with? How do I bring myself into peace with this person? And a lot of that was to do with self-forgiveness, forgiving myself and forgiving myself for judging him or whatever. And when you've done that, you move into understanding and and it's as though life takes on a new dimension because oh, and I understand this now. He needs this time to be away from me. And that's fine. He can do that. And I'm going to carry on with my life. My life's not damaged. It's like the understanding comes in and the forgiveness that I did. The cooperation um, was the forgiving. That was the active thing I did. So then understanding. And the next is enthusiasm. You've got more energy. It's like, oh, you're released from the block and you've got more energy. And with the energy comes a certain empathy it's like oh becoming at one with yourself again it's like mm. the world does what it does I can be at one with myself then I can function better because if I've got blocks and things really knotting me up I can't function properly because I'm sort of all knotted up but if I can release it uh, have access to the energy and who I am then I can be at peace and when I'm at peace it's a good place to be <laughs> empathy empathy mm -hmm. wants to be at one with my brother and what he's choosing and to be at peace with myself at this time. And one day we may get to communicate again. And if not, that's fine too. It's just absolute acceptance and peace. So the five spiritual laws, so they, I've actually divided. So it's like an addendum right at the end. So there are uh, five sections under those headings. And the relevant passages are put into those five sections. So if you want to look, explore <clears throat> one of the uh, spiritual laws, you can look at the passage re referring to whether it's acceptance, uh, cooperation, understanding, enthusiasm, empathy. Oh, that's wonderful because, <laughs> you know, depending on how you wake up or what's happening in your life, you can flick to the relevant page and mm -hmm. just look at it and reflect on what's happening. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And be in charge, not be a victim of the circumstance. Exactly. That's what's really difficult. I think when we feel a victim and we can't control, I mean, the master addiction is control, I'm, I'm, I'm told, which I believe is true. <clears throat> so I can't be in control of the world around me. I can direct myself in a way that leads me to greater fulfillment, enjoyment, and joy. I mean, that was the yeah, breath I had at the end of the two-year master's class, which um, was ended two years ago was I realized I, I have a, a gift of joy, which takes me through a lot of things, which reminds me of one of the stories I tell. Um, I wanted to do presentations where I could make people laugh and help people to feel happy. And so I wrote to an actress 
<clears throat> a comedian called Sheila Stiefel, she's South African. I said, could you teach me how to present comedy? And she's very sweet, she replied to me and she said, well, I tried to um, teach comedy at one of the major London drama schools. She said, I couldn't do it. So I, what, what I tell people to do is to see the funny side in life. And that was one of those messages that I received. It's like, yes, see the funny side. And, and I suppose I've trained myself to see the funny side. And as a result, I do have, I feel, a gift of joy. Not to laugh at a person in the situation, I hasten to add. <clears throat> but if I'm taking myself too seriously, it's like, come on, Anne, just see the funny side in this. And, and I do. And so I do have a gift. And it comes with my conversations with God, too, I think. No, just see, see, the, see the funny side. Angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. No, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, we've got a friend. An angel. Yeah, go on. We've got a friend in Sydney. He's eighty-seven, and if someone has an accident or something, he just laughs. You know, he he whatever's happening, and he's got contagious laugh. But in that moment, he takes your focus away from whatever what we see as a disaster, and he gets you to lighten up. And look mm -hmm. at the situation from different eyes. And no matter whether it's minor or serious, you, you just feel so different after it. So yeah. I totally agree with you with that. And that's and I love his that gift story. quite enjoy. I love that story from an older person because sometimes older people feel they're useless and they can't they can't do anything or that all that kind of stuff goes on. I hear it a lot with people because they're older people around this part of the world, and they, oh, I'm such and such age, and uh, you know. Like, but if you can cultivate humor at any age, it's so if you're yes. 90, 95 and still see the humor in life, it's going to help your health apart from anything else. It's Absolutely. Like it, it's such a gift to see, to see the funny side. I mean, that the comedian gave me a, a wonderful gift and she said, see the funny side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if you can remember, but Brian and I promoted comedians in Monaco and the Côte d'Azur for six months. So oh. we... Every month we hung out with them for a week. And basically, um, a lot of them were depressed deep down. And this is why they were choosing to do comedies. But the the way they look at life is they look at everything, mundane things, and they tell it in a way that people relate to it and go, oh, it's blinking raining again if you're in... Um, in Britain and they found it difficult to make people laugh in the south of France and especially Monaco because he says in most parts of the world you're struggling and you're financially poor and it's mm. like you know they try and go oh yeah I came to the harbour today and there's a boat made of gold have you seen it you know it's not gold painted i swear to god it's made of gold and there was you know a boat out in the harbor and he's going even the toilet paper's gold or they'd say something you know about how you know the pommies you get up and they wind you oh, i've got a bad head this that and the other and they go on for about half an hour and um or they'd say, who's on strike in France, you know? Oh, we luckily we had a car today because the buses were on strike or the trains were on strike. So they take uh -huh. everything, mundane stories, and mm. see the humour in it and how basically they're saying, look, we're all a bunch of morons and how stupid are we whinging about X, Y, and Z instead of looking at the bright side and thinking, okay, that's happened, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally totally it's all the bright side is always there exactly but the thing is you know people often get very cast down by the news and uh, or political things or whatever and and wars let's face it there's some horrible things going on in the world at the moment and it's very easy to get pulled down but then if we allow ourselves mm. to be pulled down then we it's difficult to live our lives and it's not to say you don't empathize or feel for people who are going through their struggles and so forth but on the other hand you still have to lead your life. Yeah. And I remember um, when the attacks went on the uh, World Trade Centers and I was with a friend who was an American friend and I was there when the second attack happened. And I was I was fixated watching the news and watching those run-throughs run of the news again. And 
it was sort of it grabbed me I think negativity can grab us like that and then and that was I forget what day of the week but anyways a few a few weeks later I had to come down and do an errand this is when I was living in Tourette's had to come down to Cannes because my bank was here and um, people were leading ordinary lives they were not fixated by what had happened in New York that time and it's like this is ridiculous. I am living in the past. There's nothing I can do about it. And it's a less getting me down. I, this is, doesn't make any sense. And I feel that about a lot of the things going on in the world that are, I have nothing I can do about them. I can send the light. I can wish people well. Yeah. But I need to keep myself in balance so I can reach out and assist other people or be available to people or just have the light going through me to assist. So um, I have to be quite disciplined with myself not to get too carried away with the sort of karma drama that goes on in the yeah. world. The world I probably is always going to have a bit of karma drama because we get to learn from it. Karma is a blessing. Those things that we're having to balance and work out in our lives, they give us strength, they give us understanding, they give us empathy. Uh, in a curious way, they are, they are a gift to us. So um we can learn from anything and we can learn with joy or we can see the funny side and encourage people and just i have a friend who's going through a very difficult cancer situation um and working out a protocol and everything she's in california and um and i just dropped her a note send her the light she gave me an update on what was going on for her and everything and I told her a story, something, one of the effects of anesthesia and anesthetics has been, it screws my mind up a bit. And I found after the last one, I couldn't speak any French, that kind of went. And mm. my words, I was having difficulty struggling for words in English and French. And I'd been staying with a lovely friend in England while all this was going on. And I had a conversation with her and I said, um, you know, I'm really worried about all this language that's, you know, I'm having difficulty finding words and so forth. And she said, I, I said, I'm, I think I may be getting dementia. And she said, she just said to me, forget it. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I told this story to my friend in California and she said, you made me laugh. Okay, that little experience is worth it because it made one person laugh. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah. It was good. And I was just... Oh, it's brilliant. That's so funny. And I just wanted to share with you because you said earlier you're not a healer, but I no. believe we are all healers. You yeah. know, we we have that innate healing ability. With yours, you channel the light and you have your chanting and your prayer group. Chanting is so healing. It wow. Is. You yeah. know, I've been to your chant groups and everybody comes away. And when we have the share circles, everybody has shifted. They've had a paradigm shift and mm -hmm. you feel so relaxed. It's like, you know, you've had a massage or something. Your, your body is so weightless and you feel happy and light. And, and some people, you know, they might be a good listener. And when you're listening to someone and present for them, that's a form of healing. We all have our unique gifts and um, maybe some of us are not consciously aware of how, how healing we are and how yeah. we affect other people in different mm -hmm. ways. And some of us stick the label on I'm a healer because we've done various qualifications. But yeah. at the end of the day, we're all healers and if you can make someone laugh you're yeah. healing them through the laughter you yeah. know you're connecting to their soul if you connect yeah. with someone's soul you're a healer mm -hmm. and um well that's that's the spirit as i exactly exactly and that's your unique gift and you know you're a master of it because um you know, just listening everywhere you've given a talk, you've had the audience in fits of laughter and people were saying to me at our ladies' lunch be here now, oh, my God, Annie's so funny, you know, and where did you find her? Where did you meet her? And, you know, so forth. And that is your unique gift of helping people to be relaxed, accept where they are, be comfortable in their skin. and you know, be present, 
and nothing else matters apart from that present moment and the present so, moment is where the, we have the power of we have the power of now in the present moment exactly and when you were talking about the wars and everything around the world um it's so true we have to stay present and my mother-in-law always says don't worry about things that are outside your control you know just accept and then think okay how can I be of service this is what I add on how can I be of service and mm -hmm. I send Reiki distant healing but I say to people if you're not trained just visualize the area or the person and see them showered with divine love you know you can see it like rose petals or however you want to see it like a loving mist or rain even showering that person it's just your intention yes. and if everybody was showering people with love mm -hmm. maybe this world would be a much happier beautiful place to live in I think so well most evenings because sometimes I'm busy um at nine o'clock my time I join a group we do what's called intercessory healing and so basically, it could be any number of us. Um, and there's one based in, I think there's one based in Australia, actually. Well, there's a time zone that's covered in, for Australia. But this is one that's for Europe. And, and so it's really, we do a, an opening prayer. Um, and then we do a meditation uh, for 15 minutes only. And we just, we send the light. We send the light to the body of angels who are in charge of intercessory light deliveries, as it were. And, and then they direct the energy of light to wherever it's needed. And so there's a group of us, it's every, every day. And uh, one, as like I say, based for Australian time, uh, one is Europe, and there's another one, I think Venezuela, so I think there are three at the moment. So the groups of us doing that. And yes, I do feel, um, I don't have any evidence to say, but it has to be doing good. It's not doing harm. And I love it because for me, it's lasting at night. So I go to bed having done intercessory healing because what you give, you receive. So it's like, I go to bed just really blessed out. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. And just before we come to a close, I always ask my guests, um, if there was one thing you could do to change the world, what would it be? Well, I think one step at a time, and if I can remember a prayer that I'm, I have as active at the moment, I'm not sure I have the exact words, but, but it's to assist people appreciate the value of who they are, one person at a, term, at a time. And it echoes a little bit what you were saying, people don't realize how beautiful they are, but it's appreciate. Yeah. Not just the esteem, but the value. We human beings are so precious and yes. educated. We're not brought up to recognize that. If I could introduce that into education systems so that the teachers would have to recognize their value in order to teach children their value. It's like, it's a kind of a, a growing thing. I'm getting shivers. Am I supposed to do this? I hadn't thought about this until you asked the question quite this way. But... <laughs> when I um, get the shivers, I always see that as an affirmation that I'm on the right track. Yes. I, yes. I, I, I'm getting more shivers as I'm thinking about it. It's <laughs> now gone into in the change the world. Well, we'll just see if I'm supposed to do that. It's like, I'm willing. It's like, just show me how. I'm not sure yeah. how to do that. I think one of the things that I want with my book is it's not the words entirely. I mean, the words, I hope people enjoy the words. But even if they were to touch it, to see it in the bookshop, to see it on Amazon or whatever, that they get the energy of intent, just even through seeing the title of the book. Oh, that's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And on that note, I want to thank you for all you are and all you do. Once a week, she does a prayer group and she puts people into the light. And so if anybody's struggling or family members, just reach out to her because she's 
so gracious and humble and she she's forever adding my friends or family members and um i'm sure she'll do the same for you so thank you everyone and thank you anne well thank thank you so much beverly I, what you're saying to me i think is a mirror of who you are too your generosity your humility your appetite for life not you were not saying this to me but i'm saying them to you um, and I'm so grateful that we had this conversation. I've so enjoyed it because you bring things out of me I'd forgotten I knew. Uh, so it's just a yeah. super blessing. So thank you yeah. so much. And love and blessings to all of your listeners. And when you were talking about the wars and everything around the world, um, it's so true. We have to stay present. And my mother-in-law always says, don't worry about things that are outside your control. You know, just accept and then think, okay, how can I be of service? This is what I add on. How can I be of service? And mm -hmm. I send Reiki distant healing. But I say to people, if you're not trained, just visualize the area or the person and see them showered with divine love. You know, you can see it like rose petals or however you want to see it like a loving mist or rain even showering that person it's just your intention and yes. if everybody was showering people with love mm -hmm. maybe this world would be a much happier beautiful place to live in I think so well most evenings because sometimes I'm busy um at nine o'clock my time I join a group we do what's called intercessory healing and so basically, mm -hmm. it can be any number of us. Um, and there's one based in, I think there's one based in Australia, actually. Well, there's a time zone that's covered in, for Australia. But this is one that's for Europe. And and so it's really, we do a, an opening prayer. Um, and then we do a meditation uh, for 15 minutes only. And we just, we send the light. We send the light to the body of angels who are in charge of intercessory light deliveries, as it were. And, and then they direct the energy of light to wherever it's needed. And so there's a group of us, it's every, every day. And uh, one, as like I say, based for Australian time, uh, one is Europe, and there's another one, I think Venezuela, I think there's three at the moment. So the groups of us doing that. And yes, I do feel, um, I don't have any evidence to say, but it has to be doing good. It's not doing harm. And I love it because for me, it's lasting at night. So I go to bed having done intercessory healing because what you give, you receive. So it's like, I go to bed just really blessed out. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. And just before we come to a close, I always ask my guests, um, if there was one thing you could do to change the world, what would it be? Mm. well I think one step at a time and if I can remember a prayer that I'm I have as active at the moment I'm not sure I have the exact words but but it's to assist people appreciate the value of who they are one person at a time at a time and it echoes a little bit what you're saying people don't realize how beautiful they are but it's yeah. appreciate not just the esteem, but the value. We human beings are so precious and yes. educated. We're not brought up to recognize that. If I could introduce that into education systems so that the teachers would have to recognize their value in order to teach children their value. It's like, it's a kind of a, a growing thing. I'm getting shivers. Am I supposed to do this? I hadn't thought about this until you asked the question quite this way. But... <laughs> <laughs> when I um, get the shivers, I always see that as an affirmation that I'm on the right track. Yes. I, yes. I, I, I'm getting more shivers as I'm thinking about it. has <laughs> now gone into in the change the world. Well, we'll just see if I'm supposed to do that. It's like, I'm willing. It's like, just show me how. I'm not sure yeah. how to do that. I think one of the things that I want with my book is it's not the words entirely. I mean, the words, I hope people enjoy the words, 
But even if they were to touch it, to see it in the bookshop, to see it on Amazon or whatever, that they get the energy of intent, just even through seeing the title of the book. Oh, that's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And on that note, I want to thank you for all you are and all you do. And I shall put the book details and all your group details and everything else for the show notes, because I know there's a lot of people out there and in divine time. And if they need help, they can reach out to you and and also put um, people into her light once a week she does a prayer group and she puts people into the light and so if anybody's struggling or family members just reach out to her because she's so gracious and humble and she she's forever adding my friends or family members and um i'm sure she'll do the same for you so thank you everyone and thank you Anne. oh thank thank you so much beverly I what you're saying to me, I think, is a mirror of who you are too. Your generosity, your humility, your appetite for life. Not you were not saying those to me, but I'm saying them to you. Um, and I'm so grateful that we had this conversation. I've so enjoyed it because you bring things out of me I'd forgotten I knew. Uh, so it's just a yeah. super blessing. So thank you yeah. so much. And love and blessings to all of your listeners.